Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for this morning, the first of our two uh, Christmas Eve services today. We thank you for what we celebrate. We celebrate the birth of light into the darkness of this world, the birth of hope into hopelessness, the birth of salvation and eternal hope into a world racked with sin and evil. We thank you for what all this represents, the beginning, the beginning of you going to the cross for our sins, rising again on the third day, and coming back for us. So Lord, I pray that you would be glorified today and every day, and I pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Here we are on Christmas Eve morning, ultimately the time when we celebrate the arrival of the Messiah to our earth. This season also brings up feelings of home and family and warmth and traditions. When many, when many people think of Christmas time, they think of home. But the passage we're looking at this morning was originally written to people who were far away from home. The passage we're looking at is written to the future exiles from the land of Judah, forced to live in Babylon and experiencing feelings of abandonment by God. And you might be thinking, well, that doesn't sound very nice for a Christmas message. What does this have to do with Christmas? Well, it has everything to do with Christmas because it declares the announcement to God's people and certainly to the entire world that he was coming. He was coming to earth. And in the midst of everything they had already been through, in the slaughter by Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon, along with their capture and being forced to live there, this announcement directly connects the arrival of God to his people with hope. Like I said in our passage this morning, the people of Judah have been told that God is coming. And they may not have known what emotions they should feel. They know they've done wrong, they've been punished for it, and when they hear that God is coming, there's this sense of not knowing what will happen when that, when that occurs. This week's passage is a prophecy told to Isaiah by God as a message for the future Jewish exiles in Babylon. When Isaiah wrote it down, it wasn't supposed to apply to that time period, but for a future time and situation. This was a promise that God's people could take with them and cling to while living in Babylonian captivity. God's people will be saved from their exile, but it won't just stop there. Judah will be delivered from captivity, but there will be an even greater deliverance to come. And to us, living as strangers and pilgrims passing through this world, living as exiles passing through this world, fraught with heartbreak and pain and confusion, anger, resentment, sinfulness, and just outright evil, these words also give us the same hope to cling to. Looking back, we can see that God has already come, born as a baby, into humble circumstances, laid in a manger, 
walking through all the human experiences we go through, nailed to and dying on a cross, rising again from the dead, and ascending back to heaven. We know that we too are looking forward to our future deliverance from our sin, from these falling apart bodies, and from this evil world. In the meantime, we have, to, we have this same hope of deliverance to cling to. Not only on Christmas, but every day of the rest of these earthly lives. As we begin this announcement to the Jewish exiles living in Babylon about 600 years before the birth of the Messiah, we see that God's arrival will be comforting. We're all very well of the hopelessness of mankind without God. The problem of where our sin has brought us. God does not leave us only with a message of conviction, however, but always leaves us with a message of comfort. There will be and is now deliverance from our hopelessness. So if you brought your Bible with you today, please turn to Isaiah chapter... This is the wrong... Uh, is there a different PowerPoint on that thumb drive? Thank you. Um, if you brought your Bible with you today, please turn to Isaiah chapter 40, uh, and we're going to be picking up in verse 1 here. Uh, if you didn't bring your Bible with you, uh, that's okay. There should be a, one located in the pew in front of you. Uh, you can open that up and find Isaiah chapter 40 in the Old Testament, uh, and we're going to be picking up with, with verse 1 here. And we read this. Comfort, oh comfort my people, says your God. That's the very first verse that opens up this announcement. Comfort, oh comfort my people, says your God. The word here translated comfort in most English translations is the Hebrew word nacham, which literally means <sighs> to sigh heavily. That's what it means. It's this idea of everything is okay now. That's what that word uh, brings the meaning of. It's this idea of everything is okay now. You have been through a lot. Now it's time to release, to take a deep breath, and know that everything is going to be okay. This was originally written to the Jewish exiles, but it's also true for us as believers in Jesus today. A lot of us today have been through a lot. Maybe you're still going through a lot. God wants you to be comforted, though. God wants you to take a deep breath and know that he's in control and he will work everything out according to his plan. Because Jesus accomplished what he did in his death and resurrection, we can breathe the sigh of relief that we have hope and hope eternal. Next verse says, speak kindly to Jerusalem and call out to her that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity has been removed, that she has received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Shout it from the rooftops. Don't whisper it. It's not a secret. Make it known to each other in compassion and kindness. Make known what? The second part of verse two again that her iniquity has been removed, that she has received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The phrase double for all of her sins does not mean that God placed a burden on Judah that she couldn't bear. It simply means that the penalty has been paid 
and the penalty has been paid in full. In other words, Judah does not have to worry about heavenly creditors constantly calling her on the phone or coming to her house anymore. It's done. Everything's been paid in full for her sin. The time for blessing has returned. And when we come to God in repentance of our sin and take Jesus as our Savior and King, we too can know that His righteousness fills our broke righteousness account to overflowing. Jesus paid our sin debt in full. It's over. It's been paid. Amen? Amen. We don't need to pay God back. We don't need to earn God's favor. All God calls us to do according to his word is to recognize that we can't do anything about our sin on our own, nor can we please God on our own, nor can we measure up to his standard of righteousness. All God calls us to do according to his word is to recognize that Jesus paid our sin debt as a substitute on our behalf. All God calls us to do according to his word is to repent of that sin, recognize that Jesus saved us from it, and commit to live for him as king the rest of our lives. That's it. The debt of sin has been removed and we too can shout our freedom in Christ and the comfort it brings from the rooftops. Keeping with this theme of shouting out God's message of comfort, Isaiah says in verses 3 through 4, A voice is calling. Clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. And let the rough ground become a plain and the rugged terrain a broad valley. Back in this time period, there were very few roads leading from city to city. Those roads that did exist for wagons and carts for trading were not paved. Rather, they were just leveled out dirt. And if there was a dip in the earth, that had to be filled in. And if there was a hill, it had to be leveled. If a king was coming with his royal entourage, he did not deem it permissible for a town to not do what it could to make his journey as comfortable and convenient as possible. If a king needed to journey somewhere, he himself was not going to commission the building of a road. Instead, it was just understood and commanded that it was the common people who were the ones to make sure the king had a level road into their town. That knowledge of that culture helps us understand the imagery that Isaiah gives to his readers here. God, the king of the universe, is coming. Humanity needs to start planning for the arrival of royal, majestic God. Even though he brings a message of comfort, he is still to be known as the king of Israel and to be given more than the proper respect due to a ruler. Now some of you, as you read this passage, said to yourself, I've heard these words before. These words sound familiar. Good for you. You've been reading your Bibles. Every one of the four gospel writers in the New Testament attributed the fulfillment of this prophecy that we just read in verses 3 through 4 to John the Baptist proclaiming the coming of the kingdom of God. In the gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, John the Baptist was the voice in the wilderness telling people to get their hearts right before God because he was coming. 
And we know that God was coming in the form of Jesus. In both of these passages, there is this image of a town crier, the person in the town that announced the arrival of the king. In the original prophecy to Judah, it's Isaiah. In the fulfillment of this prophecy for all of humanity, it's the last Old Testament prophet, John the Baptist. And when Jesus came, he was the manifestation of the Lord's glory in verse 5. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all flesh will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Are we comforted and convicted by this announcement too? Are we smoothing out our lives with our everyday surrender up to the Holy Spirit's transformation, knowing that Jesus is coming back again? He's already come once. He's coming back again. Are we shouting that he's coming back and we all need to get our lives right before him, before he gets here? In this next section of this morning's passage, there's a comparison made. A comparison made between humanity and holy God. This comparison is twofold. The first is inconsistency, verses 6 through 8. A voice says, call out. Then he answered, what shall I call out? All flesh is grass, and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. We all know that people change, sometimes for the worse, right? We can't rely on people for our meaning in this life. For some of us, even the people we thought we were closest to have let us down, have betrayed us, have shattered our confidence in them. God wanted Judah to know and he wants us to know that he never changes. Even if everyone else in our lives gives up on us, God will never hold on to that promise. He will always be the consistent presence in our lives. Secondly, the comparison between mankind and God is in existence in verse 7 that we read. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. Humans die. We live in a sinful world. Some of us have too clear of an, of an understanding of this. Even if all of our loved ones pass away from us, God never will. Even when we fade, we fall apart, we pass away, God never will. He has always existed and always will exist. And it was through his death and resurrection in human flesh that we have any hope in death. The Apostle Paul declares this in 1 Corinthians 15 in direct connection with the next, next time God will come back again. And he writes this, but the fact is Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man death came, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits. After that, those who are Christ's 
at his coming. But when this perishable puts on the imperishable and this mortal puts on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks for getting that up there, Ralph. Christmas can be a very difficult season and time for those who have lost loved ones. The birth of Jesus is the beginning of the hope that we can have. That his death and resurrection would be what gives us the hope of where our loved ones who loved Jesus are now. It gives us the same hope that if we have also repented of our sins and taken Jesus as Savior and King, his death and resurrection is the first fruits of our souls going to be with him. And then our future resurrection, when we'll be united with him and reunited with our loved ones. And in verse 8, God's word, which we've been talking about quite a bit, especially lately, God's promises, they never fade away. They never cease to exist over time or changing cultures or different people groups. God takes care of those who care about him. Jesus himself declares, do not worry then, saying, what are we to eat, or what are we to drink, or what are we to wear for clothing? For the Gentiles, the people who weren't God's people, eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided to you. All we need to be worried about is seeking after God, is building his kingdom, and living for what he deems as righteous. And guess what? He'll take care of all the rest of it. Lastly, God's arrival will be conquering in verse 9. Get yourself up on a high mountain, O Zion, bearer of good news. Lift up your voice mightily. O Jerusalem, bearer of good news, lift it up, do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. Again, this prophecy was originally meant to those impoverished children of Judah still living on the outskirts of Jerusalem and for those living in captivity in Babylon that God and his people were going to return to Jerusalem. This prophecy is ultimately fulfilled in Acts 2 when Jesus' apostles proclaimed to Jerusalem, Here is your God, Jesus, whom you crucified and God raised back to life. Here is your God. This is a shout of triumph. There is joy again. It's similar to the angel's message to the shepherds tending their flocks near Bethlehem, a town on the outskirts of Jerusalem. And so the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. It's a joyful announcement of triumph, which will be for all the people for today in the city of David. There has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. 
that prophesied Messiah you've been waiting for all these years. Verse 10, Behold, the Lord God will come with might, with his arm ruling for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. There will be a time for victory and joy, O Judah. Firstly, you will be delivered from Babylon and be rewarded again and be ushered into a time of blessing again. Later, all of humanity will be able to experience the riches of God's glory through Jesus Christ, Ephesians 1.3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And Philippians 4.19 says, And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And lastly, at the end of all things, Jesus, God the Son, the eternal Word, and the Messianic Deliverer King, who arrived as God to earth as a humble baby, and who will come back to earth again as the conquering King, declares, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me, to reward each one as his work deserves. In direct fulfillment of Isaiah 40.10. Celebration of Christmas is a joyous time. Not only because we as believers in Jesus Christ can gather with family and friends and celebrate together, but we celebrate what is described in Ephesians 1, 10 through 11. He has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he set forth in him regarding his plan of the, fulfill, of the fullness of the times to bring all things together in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. In him we also have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things in accordance with the plan of his will. That is what we are joyous about and celebrate at Christmas time. The shepherds on the hills outside of Bethlehem knew only too well the imagery of verse 11. Like a shepherd, he will tend his flock in his arm. He will gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom. He will gently lead the nursing ewes. This is not only just a gentle image to the captives in Judah that God will not be punishing them forever, but he himself will gather all those who haven't lost faith in him to himself and will care for them as, as vulnerable sheep. So when the Jewish shepherds heard the angel's words and found the infant Jesus laying in a manger, they saw the ultimate fulfillment of this verse they were familiar with. That baby would grow up and utter words in fulfillment of this meaning, I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them also. And I think most of us who don't have Jewish blood running through our veins are very grateful for that part of, these, of this message here. And they will listen to my voice and they will become one flock with one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life so that I may take it back. 
God has a special place in his heart for the vulnerable. He has a special place in his heart for the weak and defenseless, for those who cannot help themselves, for the brokenhearted and the downtrodden and the hopeless. As verse 11 says, he gently guides them through this life and unto himself at the end, and he holds us close to his chest. Let us together, during this Christmas Eve morning, celebrate God's redemption, but also his provision, his victory, and his guidance. He continually offers us redemption, and we can experience it in the Good Shepherd, the one whom Isaiah prophesies will tend the flock, gathering the lambs in his arms and lifting them onto his lap and gently guiding the nursing ewes. God has already come. His birth was the very beginning of growing up and teaching and revealing the truths about himself, God's kingdom, and how we can become a part of his kingdom. His birth was the very beginning of him fulfilling every messianic prophecy that could be fulfilled up to that point. His birth was the very beginning of the hope that would only come through his coming death and resurrection. His birth was the very beginning of our salvation and the opening of eternal life and all the peace and hope that that brings. And his first advent was the fulfillment of purpose that is leading to his second advent. Are you ready for his second coming? Have you prepared yourself in the way in your heart for his second coming? Have you been shouting from the rooftops that hope and peace of your salvation so that others can see that and hear you and repent, be born again, and also be ready for his second coming? His first advent conquered sin and death, and his second advent will conquer the whole world. Jesus has already arrived and will arrive again. Are we ready? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this announcement that God was coming. And all that is wrapped up in that, all that is entailed in that. The comfort that Jesus paying our sin debt for us brings to us. The peace and the joy and the eternal hope that that brings to us. That we know that when we repent and come to you, to ask for forgiveness of our sins, accept you as a savior of those sins and the king over the rest of our lives, we become one of your children. And we don't need to worry about or be fearful or be anxious about anything after that because we know that you will work everything according to your plan for us. And at the end of all of it, whether we, we die before this or we're still alive, you're coming back for us. And you're going to take us to the home you've been preparing for us. So, Lord, Christmas time is joyful, not just because of the birth of the king, but all that is wrapped up in that, all that that means, and all the peace and joy and salvation that that brings. Thank you for giving us the greatest gift of your son. In Jesus' name, amen.